I want to see if you recognize a question from the Bible. What is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Recognize that from your Old Testament? It's uh, pretty funny in the context that we're going to look at in just a moment, uh, and also quite serious as well. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is uh, one of my favorite texts. I, I probably have referred to this quite a bit, but it's a good text in our Old Testament and it teaches a very, very important principle that we're going to talk about this morning. The sermon title this morning is, Has the Lord as Great Delight? Has the Lord as Great Delight? And then you can uh, look at the rest of 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, to uh, continue Samuel's thought there. I want us to think about setting up this chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And the first few verses, we're going to see that Samuel is informing King Saul that he needs to go and smite the Amalekites. He needs to go smite the Amalekites. But there will be conditions to this plan, namely that he is to utterly smite them, not leaving alive anyone or anything. So you look at beginning in verse number number 1. And it says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. And you can go back in your Old Testament if you'd like to and read a little bit about that. And uh, that is found in the book of uh, Exodus and Numbers. But uh, verse 3 says, Now go and attack Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, God's pretty specific with his instructions here. And that's really the overarching theme of this chapter. It's... it's uh, really what we need to gather from what we're talking about this morning. God is very specific with his instructions, and as we're going to see, Saul isn't going to follow these instructions very closely. I was uh, reading a lot this week, and the book that I was reading was actually a parenting book. And uh, there was a very important point made in this parenting book that... uh, kind of prompted me to go back and look at this uh, account in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We think about parenting our, our children, and what do we want them to do? We want them to obey, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, from Ephesians chapter 6. But uh, the point that was made in this parenting book was, are we after obedience only, or are we also after the heart that leads to the obedience. And that's the main point that we're going to find here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul didn't have the proper heart that would have led him to the obedience. And so we'll, we'll make note of that in uh, just a moment. I think uh, there is a, an important side note here in these first three verses. We'll mention just briefly, this is uh, not does not have to do with the main point that we're going to make today, but I think it's an important side note. And it is that sometimes people will levy charges against the God of the Bible here 
in uh, verses 1 through 3, because he told the Israelites to go in and utterly destroy everything, uh, including even the women and children. There's a lot to answering that particular argument, but just saying this briefly, you have to understand the utter paganism that was found in that area of the world surrounding the Israelites, and uh, they needed to eliminate it totally from the land of Canaan. The nations surrounding Israel were rampantly ungodly. There was all manner of debauchery, idolatry, uh, child sacrifice, etc. that was going on in that area of the world at the time. And this influence had to be utterly removed or else Israel would find themselves joining in, inevitably, uh, in those abominations. And sometimes they did join in in those abominations in their history. So God tells them, just, just wipe them out. Wipe these uh, pagans out of the area. That's the short answer to the question. I have a book in my library. You might want to look this uh, book up if you're interested in answering more of these kinds of questions uh, that the atheist will throw out from time to time. Uh, The book is called, Is God a Moral Monster? Of course, the answer to that is absolutely not. God is just. God is holy. God is all good. But that book is answering that question that the atheist will sometimes throw out uh, when we read sections such as this. So that's just a side note briefly, but I think it's an important one to think about. So Saul is told to utterly wipe out the Amalekites. The the instructions are very, very clear. Look at verse number 4. It says, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah, And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. You can go back and and read that little bit of history as well. And then verse 7, it says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So you see Saul making a distinction here between Agag and the people, quote-unquote. What is he doing? He's trying to rationalize what he wants to do, isn't he? He's trying to uh, essentially, in his own mind, change the, the uh, commandment of the Lord to suit his needs. So this is Saul's first mistake. And really, mistake is not strong enough of a word. This is, this is downright uh, rebellion. This is Saul totally uh, messing up what he was told to do. He takes Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and he utterly destroys the people. I uh, think the common people with the edge of the sword. God did not say, destroy all of the people except the king. That is not what God said. He said, destroy all of them. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So I think we find some clues here to the apparent 
uh, motivation of Saul and the rest of his men. They kept the things that were good. Why do you think that might be the case? Keeping the things that are good, while everything that was despised and worthless, they went ahead and utterly destroyed, like God said. What does that sound like? To me, it sounds like Saul and those who were with him were more interested in the spoils of war than in obeying the voice of the Lord. That's what that sounds like to me. The spoils of war. The sin of covetousness, if you think about it, which incidentally, is this not a repeat of uh, when we read in the book of Joshua, the sin of Achan? And Achan taking the spoils of war as well for himself and hiding them under his tent, and he ended up paying the price for that. So history repeats itself, doesn't it? And Saul is committing essentially the same sin that Achan had committed in the book of Joshua. Verse number 10, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night." So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. He set up a a monument for himself. This was uh, pretty common in ancient days when a king would would gain a victory over uh, his enemies. They would often set up monuments for themselves. But uh, do you think that Saul had a bit of a pride problem here as well? Oh yeah, definitely. And pride is definitely a, oftentimes uh, at the root of rebellion to God because what's the middle letter in the word pride? I. I, I, I. It's all about me, me, me. I want to do what I want to do. And that is what Saul do- does here. He wants to do what he wants to do instead of what God told him to do. And if that isn't presumptuous enough on the part of Saul, I want you to take a look at what happens next, verse number 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That's what you call a bold-faced lie. And I don't know if Saul has just convinced himself here through his own rationalization that somehow he's convinced himself, oh, I've done exactly like he told me. Maybe he's like uh, our children sometimes who maybe they weren't listening very well when they're told what they're supposed to do. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But regardless, he had not done the commandment of the Lord. He had not obeyed what God had said. Verse uh, number 14, this is, uh, in my estimation, the funny part, uh, what Samuel says to Saul, but also very serious. Verse number 14, Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Dead giveaway to the fact that Saul had not done what God said, because you've got these sheep, uh, sounding their their calls, and you've got these oxen over here moving away, and uh, almost uh, poetically, 
we, uh, we have Samuel taking note of that and calling Saul out for it, right then and there. Verse number 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Is that good enough for Samuel? Not a bit. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And uh, he said to him, Speak on. Now don't miss this, because Saul, notice that he tries to shift the blame, doesn't he? Saul tries to shift the blame from himself, and he says, They, they brought them from the Amalekites. Again, the presumption of Saul here is, uh, is pretty bad, isn't it? He's presuming that he himself is, is innocent in all this and shifting the blame to them. They brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Notice also he's trying to, to uh, shine this up a little bit. Well, yeah, I know we've got these animals over here, but they're for sacrifice. They're, uh, we're going to use those for good. And so even though I technically didn't do what you said, it's for good reasons. Have you ever heard the end justifies the means? That doesn't fly here uh, with God. Verse number 17. So Saul tells uh, Samuel to go ahead and speak on. Let's, let's see. Um, I'm in, I'm in pretty, pretty big trouble here. Verse number 17. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Notice the shift that, that Samuel brings out here. You used to be little in your own eyes. You used to be a lot more humble, weren't you, Saul? And God brought you to this high position of being king over Israel. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, instead of just going ahead and owning up to his sins at this point, which are readily obvious, you know, you would think, okay, Saul might say, you've got me, you're right. But instead of owning up to that, Saul is about to double down and continue to rationalize what he had done. Is that not the case? Sometimes we do that. Is it not the case that for those of us who are parents, grandparents, uh, in trying to train up our children, is it not the case that they often do that? Try to dig that hole a little deeper. Maybe they told a lie, and instead of just coming out and telling the truth, they keep digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole, don't they? Maybe we've been guilty of that before. But notice uh, what Saul says. He, he continues digging that hole, verse number 20. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. What is, what is Saul doing here? He's making a distinction between the king of the Amalekites and the general nation of the Amalekites. I have destroyed the, the Amalekites, the nation of them. I just took the king. But is that what God said to do? God said, destroy it all. Destroy all of them. 
But the people, notice again, he still shifts the blame. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Again, Saul's trying to polish this up a little bit. He's trying to smooth things over, make himself look better. But you can't do that when you have committed sin against God. You're not going to make it look better. You might as well just own up to it, admit it, confess it, and repent. Well, uh, he has specifically disobeyed the Lord's instructions. God said, utterly destroy, utterly smite all of the Amalekites. You know, uh, this is a great case study in how people often react when it is shown that they have done wrong. Romans 15 verse 4 says that the things which were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You know, you go through and you read your Old Testament and your New Testament, and is it not the case that these accounts that we read and these sins that people commit, is it not the case that it's really a case study in how people have always acted pretty much from the beginning of time. And so when we read about Saul here, we need to make sure that we're putting ourselves into this uh, story and, and make sure that we don't do the same thing Saul did. When we're confronted with our error, we own up to it, and we, we go ahead and admit it, and we repent. So verse number 22, uh, Samuel said, "'Has the Lord as great delight.'" So that was our sermon title. Has the Lord as great delight as what? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What was the purpose in the Old Testament of burnt offerings and sacrifices? Was it not for the purpose of when you sin... When you trespass against a holy God, God requires a sacrifice to be made. God requires blood to be shed because you've sinned. Wouldn't it be better if we just obeyed in the first place? And I think that's at the heart of, of what Samuel is saying here. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? It's all you should have obeyed. You're talking about and trying to smooth this over and make it look better by saying, well, I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to make some sacrifices with these oxen and, and sheep that you hear over here. See, it's, it's a good thing. Samuel says, no, you should have obeyed. God wants you to obey. And when it comes to those of us who are parents, again, uh, in this book I was reading, wonderful, great point was made. Uh, when it comes to to what we're trying to teach our children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We're interested in the obedience. We're interested in the, hey, I said do this, and then they go and they do it. Or I said, hey, don't do that, and they don't do it. We're interested in that, but we're also interested in their heart behind the doing what we said and not doing what we said not to do. We're interested in the heart behind it because... Is it not the case that sometimes they will obey even? They'll obey surface level, but they'll do it like this with their arms crossed and with a scowl and with a rebellious heart. 
Is that not the case? And so we need to not only stress and emphasize the importance of obedience even, but the heart behind the obedience. And that applies to all of us. We have to have a heart that desires to obey God. And in this book that I was reading, the point that was made was that there's a difference between obedience, which is, which is a good thing, Samuel says it is, and submission, which is submission is your will rather than my own. Submission is obedience with a smile on your face and joy in your heart because you want to do what God said. So Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Now notice this, for rebellion, which is what Saul was guilty of, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. Now, the Israelites were very familiar with that. They knew how bad witchcraft was, conducting seances and sorcery and, and all that stuff. They were strictly forbidden from, from doing that. But rebelling against this simple commandment of the Lord was just as bad as that. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Again, they knew how bad idolatry was, but stubbornness was just as bad. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. You know, I think about what he says about rebellion compared to witchcraft and stubbornness com compared to idolatry. You know, we think about how, unfortunately, we have a, a tendency to uh, rank sins, don't we? Sometimes we, we want to rank the sins. Well, you know, you've got murder up here and you've got uh, down below it, some other things, and then, you know, toward the bottom, those little white lies. Is that not how sometimes we try to rationalize and rank things? This principle shows that, look, all those sins are equally uh, against a holy God, and we should, we should not be uh, committing them. Verse uh, number 24, to Saul's credit, we've We've picked on Saul a good bit here, but to Saul's credit, he finally wises up here in uh, verse number 24, and he go, he's about to go ahead and own up to it. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may Worship the Lord. Now, the consequences for Saul's sin here were pretty significant. Look at verse number 26. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Well, if you read the rest of the chapter, you uh, will see the point made 
Saul got himself in trouble because he did not obey. He did not have a heart that was willing to submit himself to the Lord. So the question this morning is, what is our application? Again, it, uh, it bears repeating. And in my estimation, this is one of the, you know, Romans 15.4, the things that were written before time were written for our learning. This is one of those critical chapters in the Old Testament, one of the most important principles that we can find in the Old Testament. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat and the blood of lambs. So important. God is interested in sacrifice. He required it. He required those Old Testament sacrifices, and He required the New Testament sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that we, we sang about this morning. God is interested in worship. God is interested in our study. God is interested in our good works. He's interested in all of them. But above all, He's interested in the why behind these things. He's interested in making sure that we have the heart that will submit ourselves to Him. A heart that says, not my will, but thy will, God in heaven. He's interested in that. He's interested in worship that is in spirit and in truth. John 4, verse 24. If we have hearts that love the Lord and obey the Lord because of our love for Him, if we deny ourselves, we will submit to His will for our lives, living for Him. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of lambs. Do you have a heart of obedience this morning? Or do you, like Saul, have a heart that essentially is a heart of presumption, a heart of rebellion, and a heart of disobedience?